Imagine God taking action against a government in such an overt way that only the willfully blind would not only deny that the action happened because of something they did, but that the seemingly natural event was connected to the actions of man at all. Now imagine that happening in a Catholic country. That's precisely what happened in Mexico earlier this week. The Supreme Court of Mexico declared that there was no basis for women in Mexico to be arrested for procuring an abortion, setting the stage for the legalization of abortion in that country. This happened within days of the decision about Texas coming down from the U.S. Supreme Court. Immediately thereafter, a 7.4 earthquake hit Mexico City, apparently originating from the site where St. Juan Diego had his vision of the Blessed Virgin Mary apparition that would later become to be known by the name Our Lady of Guadalupe. You can't make this stuff up. This, of course, comes as the main subject of this special audio-only unfiltered podcast episode happened as well, which is the sudden rise of overt and out-in-the-open Satanism on the American political landscape. So let's talk about how Satanism is going to apparently save women's so-called right to murder their unborn children in the womb. Most pro-life activists will candidly tell you that Satan is at the heart of the abortion movement. Many exorcists have told tales of actual demonic rituals being performed as part of either the opening of a new abortion facility or as part of the some of the so-called services provided at those places. An example of this comes from this horrific story. Headline from CNS. Abortion clinic rushed to complete 67 abortions in 17 hours before Texas heartbeat law took effect. Charming, right? Nobody gets better. Quote, a single doctor at a Texas abortion clinic performed 67 abortions in 17 hours before the state's heart bill law went into effect on Wednesday. The night before the law was implemented, Texas women flocked to the whole women's health clinic in Fort Worth to get their abortions in time, reported the Daily Wire. There were only eight employees working at the clinic and only one doctor, an octogenarian who had been working since 7 a.m., the 19th News wrote. That night, the clinic also saw another 60 women who had taken abortion medication at home and wanted confirmation that it worked, 19th News reported. End quote. Now imagine being a man who, frankly, will be going to meet his maker in the not-distant future. Sorry, but that's just statistically true for octogenarians, and don't mean to offend anybody who might be an octogenarian hearing this. But imagine being someone like that, who thinks that the right course of action is to help commit nearly 70 murders in a short span of time before the legal ban on certain kinds of murder takes effect. God have mercy. The party of Moloch, the Democratic Party, promised swift action to make sure legal baby killing was still available in America. And even the Libertarian Party of America said some demonic things about privacy rights for child murder being respected. None of that is surprising, to be honest. And it wasn't even really surprising when the Satanists chimed in on this topic. Headline from KHOU11, a local news outlet in Houston. The Satanic Temple challenges new Texas abortion law, citing religious freedom. The group recognized as a church by the IRS says the Texas Religious Freedom Restoration Act bans government from infringing on religion. Well, there's your first problem. The IRS has recognized this group as a church, despite the Church of Satan generally admitting that they don't believe that they worship Satan at all, that it's all a big humanist poke in the eye at Catholics and evangelicals. But of course they were recognized as a religion, which sets this coming fight up. And it will be a fight, because someone in a legal position of authority is going to take action against it. But let's get some details first about this cult. Quote, The Satanic Temple is challenging the new Texas law that bans abortion, 
after roughly six weeks and allows private citizens to sue providers and collect a bounty. The Massachusetts-based organization, which is tax-exempt and describes itself as a non-theistic church, argues its members in Texas should be exempt from Senate Bill 8 under the Texas Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which bans government from infringing on religion. The Satanic Temple stands ready to assist any member that shares its deeply held religious convictions regarding the right to reproductive freedom, wrote the group on its website. Accordingly, we encourage any member who resides in Texas and wishes to undergo the Satanic abortion ritual within the first 24 weeks of pregnancy to contact the Satanic Temple, so we may help them fight this law directly. One of the seven beliefs on the Satanic Temple's website reads, One's body is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. Another says beliefs should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world. One should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit one's beliefs. According to its website, the temple and its members don't believe in the existence of Satan or the supernatural, despite its name. End quote. Ah yes, Satanists, always chiming in the worst possible time. Oddly, there have been some strange bedfellows with the Satanists on this. I saw a tweet that went viral that has since been deleted by a Jewish woman saying that this abortion ban was an attack on Jewish religious beliefs, whatever that means. Honestly, people should tweet think before they tweet. Perhaps most disturbingly, though, is the quiet whispers coming from Texas that enrollment in the Satanic Church has boomed with young women as they flock to essentially sign up to be Satanists to make sure they can have abortions. You remember what I said about what happened in Mexico City after their court ruled in favor of the demonic on abortion? Take note, Texas, because clearly some kind of that's some kind of warning for all of us. But this shouldn't be that surprising, right? An article from 2016 at Crisis Magazine's website, back in the days when I wrote and got published over there, actually, tells us of a subtler kind of Satanism. Oh, and I have links to all these in all these stories that I'm quoting here for you in today's show notes at returntotradition.org if you want to read them for yourself. According to the piece over at Crisis Magazine, quote, since our theologians no longer speak of Satan, however, Venerable Sheen says we must summon the poets instead. So Lucian Greaves, the co-founder and spokesman for the Satanic Temple, explains that Satan is not literal, but rather a metaphorical construct. As the group notes, quote, Satan is symbolic of the eternal rebel in opposition to arbitrary authority. Ours is the literary Satan, best exemplified by Milton and the Romantic Satanists. And now Milton's bold Satan taunts, like some great soul, elementary and middle school parents with after-school Satan. Numerous Christians and conservatives counsel us against undue alarm over the proposed club. We're, quote, we're quoted vague literature from the Satanic Temple promising lessons on science, free inquiry, and art. We're assured, with the little collective jokes, that these Satanists don't worship Satan. We're advised, indeed, that they are, in fact, faux Satanists. Atheists exploiting Lucifer to be jerks to people of faith satirists capitalizing on the PR value of standing for Satan instead of reason. So, mark their humor, we're told, of the intentionally jarring promotional video featuring backwards-walking schoolchildren, ominous chanting, and guttural diabolic voices. We're urged by some Christians to elude this trap, that this provocation to shut down all religious clubs with our naive indignation. We're exhorted by others to exhole the satanic temple for sharing our struggle for justice and shielding our freedoms, including the freedom to offend, and we're utterly missing in our legal shrewdness and brave free thought the terrible seriousness of the satanic temple's symbolic Satan. So Satan the symbol, recuperated from his persecutors, enters schools with the goal of developing free-thinking autonomy in the face of oppressive superstition. 
While his club promises to refrain from conversion attempts and commentary upon religious practice, customs, or mythology, its satanic label, character-building exercises, and scientific rationalist non-superstitious worldview show children that moral people can shed superstitious fear and embrace blasphemous names and iconography without repercussions, end quote. Apparently, those repercussions now include the legal repercussions for having gotten an abortion or trying to help procure one. Are people taking the satanic, satanic nonsense seriously yet? Because now our permissiveness, dare I say our classically liberal tolerance of the Satanists, is now going to continue to let the lives of preborn children be snuffed out. That's what our Christian laxity has brought us. Our passive alliance with ideologies that permit all manner of evil in the name of individual freedom and toleration. That's where we are. And the best part, the very supremely devout Joe Biden, the man I usually call Caesar on my channel because of YouTube censorship. Yeah, I get censored if I even say his name. That man has promised to push for the right to murder babies, including threatening to have anyone arrested who enforces Texan law. So that's where we're at, folks, and if you are like me in any way, you have sensed for the past few years that we're building up to some sort of calamity, but we've never been able to put our finger on what it is. Even after COVID and lockdowns and Orwellian and Huxleyan tyranny has set in, we still don't quite know what's coming. America will have a blood price to pay for abortion. It's going to happen. What it will look like is anyone's guess, but the only way to avoid that is through repentance. Repenting of our sins, our own associated guilt with that monstrous sin, which must cry out to heaven for justice, and to work to make sure that the practice is ended, and that anyone who supports it in the legal system becomes a pariah. Full stop. Otherwise, we're all in a lot of trouble as a society, in America or anywhere else where this great evil is permitted. That's a simple fact, and that has taken nothing to account about our own eternal destiny in all of this. So folks, pray for Mexico City because a lot of innocent people had to have been caught up in the 7.4 earthquake, and pray that Texan lawmakers and the 20 other states that appear ready to follow Texas's lead will have the courage to do what is right here and shut this nonsense down now because they have the ability to do just that. And pray for the conversion of sombulent Caesar Joe Biden before it's too late. If you came over to the audio-only side of things today to hear the special version of the show, please consider following it on a Spotify or Apple podcast or whatever platform you found it on. And uh, stick around because if you are just a regular listener, the actual YouTube episode that is on a completely different subject follows now. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria. Perhaps the silliest thing we've seen in the past few years in the church is the never-ending synodal process. These group meetings of bishops who tackle an idea or thing that they think needs to be addressed in the church and then foist it on the church as a whole. We've had them averaging about every two years, and as a body, they almost comprise a third Vatican Council by default. It's something to take seriously as a threat to the continuity of the church in terms of logical coherence theologically, and in its identity. I mean, I know the church is going to survive until our Lord comes because he has promised us it would. But this synod is going to be different. This one is going to essentially tackle what the meaning of the church is and what our roles as lay people in it are. Expect a clear break from history on this one, folks. And it's all being done in synods, including one coming to a cathedral near you. So let's talk about this. This has been an agenda item for Francis the Great and Merciful since he ascended the throne of Peter and has been building up to this for years with his other synods, which gifted us Amoris Laetitia, among other heretical hits. But this is going to get even better. Headline from Vatican News, the BBC or NPR of Vatican City for those who are not aware. Listening to the faithful, Vatican releases synod preparatory document. 
the General Secretary for the Synod of Bishops, presents the base of text and vatamecum, or handbook, to guide the journey of the Synod on Synodality. Now wait till you get a load of these guiding principles. Quote, Listening without prejudice, speaking out with courage and parisia, dialoguing with the Church, with society and with, the, with other Christian confessions, the General Secretariat for the Synod has published a preparatory document, along with vatamecum, or handbook, to indicate the guiding principles that will direct the path of the Synod on Synodality. The solemn opening of the Synod will take place in Rome on October 9th to 10th, and in particular churches on October 17th, and will conclude in the Vatican in 2023 with the Assembly of Bishops from around the world. The preparatory document released on Tuesday is intended above all to be an instrument facilitating the first phase of listening and consultation of the people of God in the particular churches, which will take place from October 2021 to April 2022. Journeying together. In other words, as the document says, it constitutes a sort of construction site or pilot experience that makes it possible to immediately begin reaping the fruits of the dynamic that progressive synodal conversion introduces into the Christian community. The text opens with a fundamental question. How does this journeying together, which takes place today on different levels, from the local level to the universal one, allow the church to proclaim the gospel in accordance with the mission entrusted to her? And what steps does the Spirit invite us to take in order to grow as a synodal church? End quote. Guys, I knew this was going to be bad, but I never thought it would be this group hug-infused kumbaya fest of the silliest kind. But then again, this is the spirit of Pacamama, the spirit of the thing that Teilhard de Chardin spoke of. He wrote at length about the need to, quote-unquote, need to level the church and bring people into it more. Not in the gospel way, but in, a, in the worldly way. And he wanted this fully at work in the church. Leveling the church to elevate the voices of certain faithful, not those mini doo-doo headed trads, of course, but certain acceptable voices within the church, to be sure, but not the rest of us. Now let's have a look at some of the guiding topics of the Synod. Some of the main topics to be discussed here are recalling how the Spirit has guided the Church's journey through history and today calls us to be, together, witnesses of God's love. Okay, so far so good. Living a participative and inclusive ecclesial process that offers everyone, especially those who for various reasons find themselves on the margins, the opportunity to express themselves and to be heard in order to contribute to the edification of the people of God. All right, so point two is a man-focused thing, if there ever was one. Point three, recognizing and appreciating the wealth and the variety of gifts and charisms that the Spirit liberally bestows for the good of the community and the benefit of the entire human family. Uh-huh. Point four, exploring participatory ways of exercising responsibility in the proclamation of the gospel in the effort to build a more beautiful and habitable world. Uh-huh. Point five, examining how responsibility and power are lived in the church, as well as the structures by which they are maintained, bringing to light and trying to convert prejudices and distorted practices that are not rooted in the gospel. Here we go with some of the uh, changes going on in the church. Point six, accrediting the Christian community as a credible subject and reliable partner in paths of social dialogue healing, reconciliation, inclusion and participation, the reconstruction of democracy, the promotion of fraternity and social friendship. So here is more alliance with the world than with the Leviathan. Point seven, regenerating relationships among members of Christian communities as well as between communities and other social groups, 
e.g. communities of believers of other denominations and uh, theological ways, civil society organizations, popular movements, etc. So again, more of the Leviathan here. And finally, fostering the appreciation and appropriation of the fruits of recent synodal experiences on the universal, regional, national, and local levels. In other words, turning the church more like the Anglican Communion. Boy, that's some utterly modernist nonsense if there ever was any. The move here is clearly to reduce the church to another social institution, and the people behind the move apparently believe that by making the church embrace the ever-changing values of the world, the church will be more popular. People might voluntarily join without having to do that whole spreading the gospel thing that Christ spoke about. I mean, that's icky. And most importantly, be a welcome guest at the table for the people running the Leviathan. And that's, of course, the main thing here. At some point, they'll have to stop calling the Catholic Church the Universal Church because if this keeps going, by the time they're done, a Catholic traveling from one place in the world to another might not recognize the Mass he attends on Sunday because except for a few ornamentations and the sign of the cross, the differences might become so stark that it makes the Anglican Communion look uniform by comparison. By the way, to show you just how unserious these people have become, the official title of the document is Official Handbook of Listening and Discernment in Local Churches for the Diocesan Synodal Phase of the Synod of Bishops on Synodality. Man, that sounds like something I had to read in some of my public administration coursework in my Ph.D. program. But what is this about precisely? To crux we go. Headline. Vatican prepares to launch two-year synodal process on synodality. This is a procedural meeting, a meeting set to set the agenda of the national synods that Rome wants the church to launch everywhere. And by Rome, I mean back of Papa Francis. Quote, Synodality, according to the preparatory document, will grant Catholics the ability to imagine a different future for the church and her institutions, in keeping with the mission she has received. At the same time, the decision to journey together is defined as a prophetic sign for the human family, which needs a shared project capable of pursuing the good of all. The meeting of the Synod of Bishops will take place in October 2023, but the, the event will officially start next month with a process of listening, dialogue, and community discernment in the local churches. Synodality is much more than the celebration of ecclesial meetings with bishops' assemblies, or a matter of simple internal administration within the church. It is the specific modus vivendi et operandi of the church, the people of God, which reveals and gives substance to her being as communion when all her members journey together gather in assembly, and take an active part in her evangelizing mission, the document says. The main axes of synodal church are communion, participation, and mission, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and listening to scripture, it continues. The Vatican is inviting local churches to conduct a listening process, the guidelines of which were presented in a second document, also released on Tuesday, end quote. And man, do I miss the term church militant, I really do. This people of God stuff is just so silly. There is one positive piece to all this, though. In light of the slow Latin mass ban that Francis released in Traditionis Custodis in July, these listening sessions will give the layperson an opportunity to bring this to the attention of the bishop publicly. You will have the ability to go to an open microphone and tell him that his restrictions of your Latin mass community are unacceptable, that Traditionis Custodis is canonically an illegal document anyway, since it was never promulgated in Latin. You know, according to canonists in the church, that's a real thing that motu proprios must be issued in Latin to be binding. So you could bring this all up to your bishop as well as Canon 87, which allows him to toss the motu proprio in the trash bin where it belongs and ignore it. Or whatever you want to bring up to his attention. Just make sure to come off with respect to him, since most people don't want to deal with angry people who look or act like they're on the fringes anyway. Always remember that presentation is everything in these things. 
The takeaway with this document is pretty simple. Most of the topics are of a secular slant of a particular political bias. Certainly the church and the faith don't fit neatly into any of these kinds of boxes, but in our present day and age, it should go without saying that certain ideologies just aren't compatible with the faith, including the ones in vogue with our political leaders. That's one of the things in issue here. These documents and this synodal process of stated goals are of a nature that will bring the church even more in line with the goals of the Leviathan and of the world in general. Yes, the gospel is mentioned several times in there, but always framed with certain secular goals in mind. After a while, you can't help but notice the continuing trend, and it's not really new under Francis, to be honest. It's been like that with every pope since the council, to some degree or another. It's just that Francis the Great and Merciful is in fact the living, breathing embodiment of modernism, and so it's just more blatant these days. So let me know in the comments. Will you go to your synodal way meeting in your diocese and at your parish and defend the traditions of the church and authentic expressions of the role in the church in the world? Because what has been taught for the past few decades, and especially under this pontificate, doesn't quite square with what the church has said throughout its entire history, to put it mildly. So let me know if you'll go to one of these meetings and set the record straight with the bishop and the clergy, because this could be a chance for us to make our desires known to the bishop. Let me know in the comments about your plans for that, as well as make sure to like and subscribe if you have not. It really does help. And as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.